Peltero Pickle episode 125. Chris and I are going to go deep into what intent is. What is a drill? What is an approach? We got a long conversation about that. Uh, probably one of our better hidden conversations ever. So you're going to want to check this one out. Episode 125, Pelotero Pickle. Check it out. The first the two clocks are terrible. I got to do it again. Pelotero Pickle, episode 125. It's May 15th. I just clap four times because I like to clap to start, and Chris is dying laughing because my claps are brutal. Uh, before we get started, a reminder, send us your questions and topics to at Pelotero Pickle on Twitter. Hit us up, pickle at Pelotero.com. Chris is actually crying. If you're watching this somehow, oh. uh, he's actually crying. Chris, how you doing? How was your weekend? I'm good, Bobby. How are you? My weekend was horse shit. Uh, how was yours? Is that too direct? I just want to start the show off with a bang. Yeah, I don't uh I don't know why that's the case. I'm sorry to hear that. Um my weekend was fine. We had a nice little Mother's Day yesterday. Nice slow day. Um it rained a lot this weekend, so it was a pretty slow weekend. I'm fairly sure I don't like weekends anymore. I'm in reverse mode of when I was a kid. When I was little, couldn't that happens. Wait for that's Friday. how you know you're getting old. That's how that's when you know you're getting old. Damn it. It switches. When you're young, you go to bed early during the week and then you stay up late on the weekends when you're old you stay up late during the week and then you go to bed early on the weekends when you start going to bed at like 10 o'clock on a friday night that's how you know you're old that's my that's my benchmark your, your sleep cycle switches i think i just for me you know the weekend i think when you're when you're young you tend to look forward to leisure and doing nothing and the ability to go interact with your friends or go to a bar or whatever it is. And I don't even know if I should say that out loud, but in your early twenties, like not... that's kind of the, yeah, but that's, that's kind of in your early twenties. That's social. what you do. Right. It's a social activity. And, yeah. And I think now I'm, I'm thanks to you in a lot of ways, I'm much more about efficiency and leveraging time. Well, cause you start to realize that time is finite and, um, really doing the things that you want to do that are going to move the needle both personally and for the people around you. I think I've focused a lot on the people around me my whole life. And um, at some point I lost track of myself, if that makes any sense, but uh, I'm excited. I'm just, I'm pumped about possibilities, right? I think sometimes you need to be lost to be found. Chris. Turning 40. Sometimes you need to be lost. Sky's always found. darkest before dawn, Bobby. <laughs> Guys, always darkest before dawn. Uh, it Different is. perspectives in life. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, we've both been pretty active on Twitter. Um, I'm I'm kind of on one right now. My weekends are a lot of. Uh, typically, I do like the Saturday morning brain dump, and I just wake up and just everything from the week, all the conversations, all the thoughts, they get they get condensed and distilled and organized in my brain. <clears throat> so it's good. Got a lot of a lot of good clarity, a lot of good stuff going on. Um, biggest thing that I just want to talk about real quick is we're we're now kind of presenting things from a Pelotero standpoint as a hitting system, and I think it's important for us to talk about it and make it known. So we're going to talk about it, and make it known. So you know, we've built this software platform, 
and it's amazing and it's like blows me away that we've built this thing that does what it does but when we try to tell people about it and we talk about it as being software it's uh doesn't always land there's better ways to talk about it so what we're doing now for organizations whether that's a facility high school college whatever whatever your organization is travel ball teams and for the individual players, we're able to very, very quickly build out an annual roadmap for you. And we're going to tell you what technology to use, when to use it. You don't have to follow it to a T. It might be complementary to what you're already doing. You might look at what we built and say, oh my gosh, this is incredible. We need to implement this across the board. Um, our intent is to build the best hitting platform on the planet. Uh, I think we've been thinking way too small with it, to be honest. I think... If we really come to terms with what we're trying to do and say this, we're trying to build the best hitting system on the planet. We're trying to ask all the critical questions. We're trying to collect all the data. We're trying to provide the best instruction, the best feedback. We're trying to build the best thing on the planet. And a big piece of that is what we built with Pelotero as a data processing tool. Recently learned that we actually built an AI platform, which is hilarious. It's called reactive AI is the, the type of artificial intelligence, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm excited. I think our messaging is cleaning up and pretty excited about it. So, so let me, yeah. let me, let me harp on that for a second. So the weird part is listening to you say that. And, and I think when anybody thinks of a system, right. Or in the past, when people have referred to systems, there's a connotation of cookie cutterness. There's a connotation of everybody's doing the same thing. And, and I think that's where the loss of translation is for the most part, at least if I'm just hearing the words and connecting them in my own brain, which I have a tendency to do is read between the lines or try to anyway, when I talk to people. And, and I think what this whole thing has taught me is a, to be much more specific, less ambiguous when I say words, because I think one of the biggest things that humanity does is we tend to judge things on the way we perceive them instead of what the person's actually trying to communicate. So if you really sit here and think about it, right. And I, I, I said this to you last week, I look back on my development as a baseball player, as a hitter, and it was very scattered. It was so incredibly scattered that if I didn't have the wherewithal to absorb, absorb information the way I did, which was, my brain interpreting things and then heavy focus on whatever the moment or tide shift brought me to. And I said this to you, I said, I wish I had, there would had been a more systematic approach to learning hitting because learning hitting is really truly difficult from a, a, a holistic standpoint. It's, it's easy to teach a swing. It's easy to teach a drill. It's easy to teach a set of movements. It's easy to talk about approach. It's easy to talk about hitting the right pitch. It, it's incredibly difficult to enact that for any one individual player with all the extenuating circumstances, circumstances around it, both from a, where do you fit in the team environment standpoint as a player, right? What's your role? How can you contribute to playing winning baseball? Because at the end of the day, a player's job is to contribute to winning baseball. We play a team sport. So your responsibility day in, day out is to contribute to winning baseball. But at the same time, you have to run this parallel race where you're, you're going through 
self-development, right? And I think that's where the biggest gotcha is in hitting. We get caught up in one or the other, or we try to focus too much on one thing or the other. And that's why being a great hitter is about living in this blended, really, atmosphere where you can have considerations for all the things going on at once, whether it's what the pitcher's throwing, how they're trying to get you out, uh, what the scoreboard says, how you're feeling in the box, what your emotions are telling you. And that's what makes hitting really challenging. So if if there had been a more systematic path to learning all the steps, I think that would have helped me immensely. And it would have helped remove a lot of the emotion from it. And I was having this conversation with a former teammate of ours, John Burtwell, coaching the Marlins organization, went to Harvard. Uh, and he said something to me a couple of days ago. He said, the, the biggest challenge that I had as a player, because I was really pretty smart and I, could, I was aware of everything, was compartmentalizing the what just happened. And then he said, taking the meat off the bones and then throwing the bones away, right? We tend to bring the bones with us. The bones are the emotion. I went 0 for 4. I don't feel great in the box. Leave the bones behind and take the information, the meat, which is the really important part of of what you learn today as an athlete to benefit you going into tomorrow. It's really good. Really good. Yeah. And it, being systematic and we just had a call and we were talking about uh, like what are hitters obsessed with? I think that's, that was a good time to talk about that. Hitters, today's hitters, younger hitters, they're obsessed with exit velocity and they're obsessed with launch angle and they're obsessed with doing stuff that's going to show up on a, a an Instagram reel. Um, I think that's happening because it's being measured and it's being like celebrated. It's being put in front of their face on, on a set cast and it, the data is available. It's, it's accessible and putting a higher number is cool. You know, it's, it's cool and it's exciting and it's sexy. And if, if we want people to be obsessed with the right things, we have to give them an opportunity to be obsessed about the right things. So if, if we, you know, hitting should be about making less outs. You want to get hits. When you get hits, you want them to be valuable hits. Extra base hits are more valuable than singles, but there's risk reward there. If you're swinging harder, if you're like, you know, selling out to something, there's risk versus reward there. So having better education about that process, but you know, being on time should be the the sexiest baseball stat ever. When I watch college teams hit, when I if I put a game on and I watch an entire team hit, the number one compliment I'll ever do, and I, I'll reach out to random coaches on Twitter and be like, dude, your entire roster is on time right now. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Because when an entire team is on time, it's very obvious that it's not random because I can turn on major league games and there's hitters late all the time getting ready. So how do we make being on time something hitters can be obsessed with? If they don't know what percentage of time they're on time, or if they don't know what good is for being on time, how can they actually focus on it and know what's good and what's bad? If we don't give them numbers like chase rates and you know what percentage of fastballs are you taking in the heart of the zone? If they don't know these numbers, they can't be obsessed with it. They can't build an approach and they can't, they can't focus on the right things unless you give them a chance to focus on the right things. It's crazy. The and weirdest part so about obsessed all this with swing. Is... Everybody's so obsessed with swing right now, and it's like swing matters, but what percent? 
the weirdest part about all everything you just said, Bobby, for for like a hundred years, right? The only measurable was batting average. So people judge themselves by their batting average, right? That was the measurable. And you could add total cumulative stats. So if you produced, if you hit homers and you drove in runs, that mattered. It was a hundred years. And obviously it was important because the best hitters of all time have hit for the highest averages over long periods of time, right? It doesn't mean that you're going to hit 330 every year, but the best hitters in our game have hit for the highest averages over the course of careers. Uh, in statistical analysis, the closer you get to infinity, the, the more accurate the numbers are, right? And obviously, you know, 5,000 at-bats or 10,000 at-bats gets you closer to infinity than 500. And it's, it's, I don't think anybody can argue that. And then what happened was we, we, the, the game said, no, wait a minute. I, I think hitting the ball hard is a more defining characteristic of, of how good a hitter is because their probability of, a, of getting a hit should increase the harder they hit the ball. So still we're, we're, we're still actually conceptually trying to drive batting average but we're doing it from a more process-oriented approach, saying, okay, well, we need to hit the ball hard. The problem with that shift, and right, and it became measurable. It became measurable in a training environment. Now it's measurable in a game environment from a, a big league or at least collegiate outlook. The challenge was now we're, we're measuring the ability to hit the ball hard, and we're making predictive analysis based just on that. So the context of the information is really missing around it. Because if you can hit the ball hard in the cage, that doesn't mean you can hit the, hit the ball hard in the game. Being a great VP hitter and being a great game hitter didn't necessarily align for the longest period of time. Uh, the ability to hit the ball in the ballpark in VP versus the game, they don't align because the game is a different challenge. Then what happened was the advent of social media, right? And it became really easy to post your opinion about this, that, or the other thing. And... The most obvious thing to look at with a hitter is, hey, let's look at their swing. Let's look at their movements. Let's look at their, their biomechanics. Again, because there was no measurable for all the other stuff. There's no measurable for on time. There's no measurable for accuracy in a game at the amateur level. So a bunch of people said, oh, well, my opinion is this. And guess what? If you look at any swing right now, if you just looked at any swing, side view video of somebody hitting in a cage, you find something wrong with it. Somebody will find something wrong with it. And that's pathetic. And the fact that we can't see through that as an industry or as a society, in a lot of ways, is, is terrifying. But what what it's done is it's and we've we've referenced this term before. We've we've created all this doubt for players that they're not swinging good enough, and that they're not metricing good enough. When the reality of it is, neither one of those two things necessarily correlate to success on the field. They're a piece of it. Don't get me wrong, but you can compensate for your inability to do those things well in a lot of other ways and still be a great hitter. And my argument to that would be, hey, we want to have a timing leaderboard, right? And you said, I want people to be chasing being more on time. I want people to be, ch be chasing being more on time once in a bat. And I want players to be more conscious of when they are on time to make sure that they're accurate to the baseball that one time per at bat. Cause you only gotta be on time four times in a, in a four at bat night. Sometimes you only gotta be on time too, but it's how you approach being on time that I think is what's at the root of what you're saying. And I'm sorry to go on this philosophical rant. This is the good stuff, Chris. 
this is the good, this is the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's the good stuff. Well, we got to be the be the change you want to see in the world. That's why we built what we built, right? That's what <clears throat> that's what this we're is, doing. we're gonna that's... have one of those make the world a better place moments as a software company. Oh man, here yeah, we go. Low mo fo show. Fo like... show. Mo <laughs> low mo fo's. So mo low show. That's a uh, for anybody that's not aware. Watch Silicon Valley, one of the funniest dry humor shows I've ever seen. Yep. It's a good watch. Yep. So first topic, first formal topic anyway, is how do you know if a drill is working? And this is like very, you know, this is perfectly tied in everything we're talking about. So <clears throat> had a had a meeting on Saturday and it was, I enjoy these type of conversations. I hope I don't come off as confrontational sometimes when I have you answers to never. questions. The things that we've considered building, what we've built are deep. Um, they're just, they're really deep and the, there's so many gotchas. There's so many layers. There's so many things that need to be considered. That's why we, we always talk about context. We always talk about, you know, asking good questions. If you don't ask good questions, you have, you won't have good data. And like we built a, a an AI model. So if you don't factor in the right things, you're not going to get good answers. So it's really important to, to ask deep questions and, like recently on Twitter, I asked what percentage of success is based on swing mechanics. Some people said more than 75%. Some people said less than 25%. Like what percent? I don't know. I think the better your swing is, the less it becomes a limiting factor. The worse your swing is, the more it contributes to failure. So it's, you know, can you have success with a bad swing? Sure. If I'm playing golf and all I can do is hit a fade, all I can do is slice the ball and I got to curve it to the left, I'm probably not going to have a good shot. I'm probably, it's probably not going to go well. So your swing becomes a limiting factor in certain situations. If I need to hit a fade, then my likelihood of success goes up. If my swing is really slow and I'm facing a slow pitcher, my swing is not the thing preventing me from having success. If my swing is really slow and I'm facing a really fast pitcher, then my swing is a huge piece of that. My approach doesn't matter if I can't swing fast enough to hit against a certain pitcher. That makes sense? It's like what, like what, understanding the limiting factor and, and, and understanding the real cause of failure. So if we go to the question, how do you know if a drill is working? I got hammered on it. How do you know it's working? And I was like, well, first of all, if you do the, the program on hit tracks, you can get a little thumbs up, thumbs down if you're executing the drill right based on launch angle, batted ball direction, exit velocity. It's amazing. One of the most engaging hitting experiences you can have is what we built with hit tracks. You can take a swing with intended ball flight and get an immediate feedback on that. It's incredible. But the key word there is intention. So this is my, I'm going to, this is going to be my new standard definition of what a drill is. A drill is setting intent. You're, you're creating intent for that player and success of a drill is whether or not you execute on that intent. Just like a, a golfer who's standing behind a ball saying, oh, I want to hit a high draw right here. That's your intent. The only way you can measure success is if you understand the intent. So if I tell a player hit a, a ground ball to second base, if they do that, then that's successful execution of the drill. There now you can you can break it down and get a little more nuanced in it. It's like, well, did I hit the ball in the right direction? But I hit it too high, and then you add in like the hard hit quality. Did you hit the ball at the right direction at the right, right launch angle? But then you got jammed, so you didn't hit it hard. So it's, to me, it's, it's that. And then I just asked on Twitter, what is an approach? 
And I think an approach is the exact same thing. An approach is establishing intent. And um, a major league hitting coordinator, or hitting coordinator with a major league organization sent me a DM and we were just going back and forth about anticipation. So it's, I think you can add, it's building an intent with good with good anticipation. The better your approach will be, will be how well you can anticipate to build your intent. How do you know? And I just, I, I interact with Will Middlebrooks quite a bit. He's, he's good people and he's a hitting guy. And I, I just sent him some notes. Will, come on the show. <clears throat> yeah, we need to get him on the show. Um, what is a drill? What is an approach? Establishing intent. What is success? Execution of the intent. Intent. And then there's a bunch of if statements. If it's X pitch, if it's this runner, if or if if these runners are on base, what's the score? How many outs? Is you know who's on the mound? What pitch? How does their pitch profile move? How have they tried to get you out in the past? There's all these if statements. If 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 if. That's the game. Isn't that the game? And yes, we want to be able to hit the ball hard. Yes, we need good bat speed. Yes, we need to be strong. These become just prerequisites for success. So factor in everything. Further, and then Bobby. If you don't have intent, you can't measure success of anything. And where does it where does intent live? Gonna, where does it live? Where does intent live? In the hitter's mind. So when we build programs for people, people are always like, oh, what if I don't like the drill? The drill creates intent. And if the player tries... If you get in a game and you can't execute what you're intending to do, you're going to fail or you're going to get lucky. And like so, long-term, do you want to be lucky or do you want to be good? If so facto, the root of the question that was asked to you by somebody who has never tried to create a systematic approach, he didn't know if the drill was working before either because we've exactly. literally had exactly. no way to measure anything. In the past, right, and I, I lived this life, you did too, you go in the cage and you get with a hitter and you literally just throw shit up against the wall and see what sticks, right? That's literally the definition of what a hitting lesson looks like right now. And I, I asked the question, I'm, uh, speaking of Twitter, I'm in an engagement and I asked somebody, I said, what is, what is, I said, I'm sorry, I'm asking so many questions, but I said, uh, you're both a high school coach and a travel ball coach. I said, can you, can you just tell me what success looks like for you in either scenario? And I, I love this, this answer said uh, a successful high school experience caters to 93 to 95% of high school athletes that will only play high school sports. Make the athlete feel as if they were playing at the next level, and that just boils down to giving each child the best experience you can provide them. That may be personally treating them as a human, not just a player, taking time out individually to help them as a player, hold them accountable as young men, and teach them how to be godly, Give them a facility to be proud of, putting together a fun and challenging schedule, play gear to wear and rep your school with pride. It's great. So what it comes down to is a relational thing, right? As a, as a coach or an instructor, everything you just said is I want to build a better relationship and I want to build a better man, right? Is that fair? Is that, I'm not, I'm not like uh, minimizing the statement. And I agree with it completely. Your objective is to help player A become his own best coach, help player a discover the most he can about himself because at the end of the day i can never take a swing for him i've said this a thousand times so in the past how do we know if a, a, a drill is working the only way drills make any sense is if player a in the cage trusts coach b while he's in there right and then the drill has some form of impact whether it makes them feel something makes them think something opens up their brain to the fact that there's a better way 
but generally in the lesson instruction model currently as it stands 2023 world somebody goes to see an instructor they pay him money or they go see a coach and they're playing for on a team and there's this young person way of interpreting information oh my parents are putting me in this situation so this person must be somebody that i can trust or listen to so even if the the drill or the movement or anything doesn't resonate with the player the player is predisposed to say well maybe i don't know better right where the coach should be asking about personal feelings so no drill ever has ever worked by any context because we have no way to measure whether the drill actually worked other than that instructor their care level in the cage in that moment with that player saying, hey, that looks great or that doesn't look great. Let's try this. But ultimately, we don't know if that converts into successful play on the field. We never have and we never will. Or I won't say we never will because we've literally just identified things to really help us try to get to that place. How do you know if a drill works? Ask the player. In the past, hit hitting coaches have just historically looked at a player and saying, I think this is good or I think this is bad. And then they either change course or stay the course, depending on what's going on. So they've never even really given the thing a chance to, to grab. And oh, by the way, every hitting instructor ever has predispositions about what drills they think work and which ones they think don't. So they don't even open up their mind to the possibility of the fact that there might be more out there. By objectifying all of that and then leaving room for the creativity and artistic side within it, now you've got a home run. Yeah. And doing that, doing this whole exercise at any sort of scale is really hard. If you had to do this with 10 players, it's hard. Doing it with one player, if you're, if you're tracking all the right data, it, it becomes overwhelming. And that's, again, why we... Well, you're at the that. mercy of the effort and intent of the coach. You're literally at the mercy of the effort, energy, and, and desire of said instructor to really discover along with the player. That's it. That's what that's what the industry has been at large. There is no measuring stick, right? Hey, hey, good job, man. You did less with me all winter. And let's call a spade a spade. Every one of those instructors in that case to make money. They might not want to admit it. They might not want to say it. They well, they want to have spending money. They love coaching. That's great. I get it. But now they've seen a path to putting food on their table or putting money in their pocket by wearing sweatpants and 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 staying in a batting cage as opposed to going to work your traditional nine to five. And that's okay. I did that for a long time. I was like, well, this is better than being in an office, right? It, it was helping me inherently as a, as a player by being in the cage with other young players. So, I, I mean, I just don't know why we can't sift through all the crap and go, okay, like, what, how, is, how do you know if the drill's working? Nobody's ever known whether a drill's working or not. So at least we're giving it a chance. Yeah, and I'll I'll take it uh, just one more one more degree further. If if the current measurement of is it working is the kid get, has, gets more hits, right? They they got more hits, but Good it's job. not even great, that great success. It's let me go, let me go, let me go. It's important to understand why success is happening, just as importantly as understanding why failure is happening, because at some point that kid that's getting hits. That dad's going to send a text message to us being like, hey, he's not getting hits right now. What do you see? And there's nothing worse. I The, the thing I dread that the, when it happens is when I get a random text message from a mom or a dad saying, what do you see? He's not getting any hits right now. He, he doesn't feel good. 
dude, I have no idea. I have, you want me to just look at his swing and I can't see the picture because it's usually a random side view video where the picture's not in frame. I have no sense of timing. I have no sense of anything about what's going on. You're sending me probably the ball that could put in play. Maybe it's two strikes. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I have no context. I don't know, like, oh, oh, what happened? One, oh, what happened? Oh, one, what ha- I don't know anything. And I'm supposed to be making decisions and helping you. Like, put me, put me in, as a coach in a position to be successful so that I can help your kid the best. Because, great, you're getting hits right now. Matt Swope, there's, there's two types of people. Those are humbled. Those who are humble and those who are about to be humbled. Right? The, the, this game is hard. And the further up you go, you're going to want benchmarks and you're going to want to have clear understanding of why you've had success and what's causing your failure. And, oh, because by we're the trying way, to get more hits and we're trying to make less outs. Oh, by the way, Bobby, even if I have all that stuff, I might still not know how to help you. I might still not know. I can try. I have better information, right? Literally, this happens daily to me. I have all the information. I watch your bats. You're tracking your bats. But now I don't know. I can just give you my opinion. Hey, you're getting yourself into crappy counts. You've been playing from behind all these games. So I don't know what your stress levels are. I have to ask more questions and say, hey, how are you feeling? What do you got? Give me more information so that I can really ultimately just help you get out of your own way. That's what it comes down to. (laughs) How do I help you get out of your own way? How do I help you keep it simple when you need it to be simple and complicate it when it needs to be more complicated? That's what it comes down to. How do I get you, said player, to feel what you need to feel so that you can go and be free while you play? Be free. Time up. Get on time to the fastball and let's see what happens. And build a swing that allows you to be adjustable in the meantime. As adjustable as possible. Anyway, we have 13 minutes. But wonderful right. session. Of tidal wave, we got a tidal wave of new data. A tweet came out. University of Charlotte, I believe. Let me double check that. Uh, University of Charlotte Baseball is installing a system called SMT. Looks like a kind of a Hawkeye style thing. Uh, some metrics coming from the system. I'm just reading this off. Base runner, secondary leads, base runner, top speeds, base runner, first step, base runner, time from base to base, batted ball distance, hang time, uh, batter time to first, batter top speed, catch dis- catch location, distance to landing location, exit velocity, fielder move distance, fielder reaction time, fielder throw speed, fielder throw distance, transfer time for the fielders, average speed for the fielders, throwing. Are you going to keep going? Speed. It's doing a lot of stuff. I already it's, blacked uh, out. I blacked out. Uh, well, I, I read it all with intent to make you black out. So this is really cool. My question is, will it be useful? And how will it be used? So if I... Are you asking me directly? Well, no, just a, just a, it's a general question. So like, do you need to know the base runner secondary lead length? Is that... Like, how is that going to be get used to win more games? Do you need, like, runners, top speed, cool? Like, are there better ways? Are there? It's really cool. But this is the type of thing that when I, in my, when I had a facility, when I was doing this whole thing, you, you see some new tech come out. It's really cool. It's exciting. And then you get it. And then you try to use it. And you try to figure out if it's meaningful. I don't. I don't know if it's measuring the things that matter at the root of all player development. Identify the amount of bandwidth 
that a player has within them and get them from A to Z in the simplest and most efficient way possible so that things become organic to them as both reactionary steps in playing the game because the game is one giant reaction and adjustment, right? And B, not impede their mind from all the other things that they have going on in their life from hitting a fastball to, you know, talking to their friends at school, right? We as a society have like, we've added these layers of data and numbers and measurements. And, and to your point, it's cool. But in terms of the application to humanity, it's like, how do we get from A to Z as simply as possible? Because if we don't do that, then we're, we're doing nothing. And by and large, I would argue to you that we've actually, we've made, we've made humanity dumber in a lot of ways because we've made things so much easier. So there's less responsibility on a young person to gather information. And this is the thing that scares me about the chat GPTs of the world, right? If I don't have to learn anything, then how do I learn anything? Right. Well, what what do you need to know? How to, uh, do you need to know how things work? Like, I used to think about this with computers and with like a CD. Do I need to know how a CD ROM works? Correct. Like, do I need to know? Do but, I need to know how a computer's memory works? Do I need to know how a, ra a radar tower works? But at what point does like every generation not understand the previous technology? And do you need to it? learn how long your secondary lead is, or do you need to learn how to be safe? Is the question. That's the same right. question, right? Yeah. You need to learn how to be safe. You don't need to so like, sit there yeah. and take out a measuring stick for your for your secondary leads. Am I am I correct there, in saying that? One of the one of the numbers is like throw velocity for the infielder. I would make an argument you should want that number to be as low as possible <laughs> to still get the guy out. So that Fair. you're not rushing. Like if we're looking for a peak velocity, you can do that without installing a multi camera probably a multi-thousand, hundred thousand dollar system. So it's like, just what's the point? What's the, what are we actually trying to achieve? It's cool. I'm sure there's going to be a ton of data. I'm, I'm curious about what's going to come of it. I know, and I firmly believe this. I don't know how long it's going to take. Is it going to take 10 years, 20 years? Every youth baseball field in the country is going to have tech that's tracking pitch location, pitch velocity, bat a ball. It, it's just going to happen. It, this is going to be normal because you're going to be able to just set your phone up. It's going to be some device that's crazy cheap. You just stick it up on a fence and it's going to auto calibrate. And it's going to figure everything out. Well, and it's going to be able to track the ball. Anymore. Yeah, well, it's, it's just going to happen. So that's going to happen in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, less than 50, probably less than 20. As long as maybe youth probably less than 10. If youth sports stays a, a major industry, then it'll happen. If it doesn't, then it won't. If, if all of a sudden the youth of America just get really into video games, which they are, and but I, yeah. I haven't seen youth baseball or amateur baseball get smaller, right? I have youth sports. Well, the, are gonna the be more the world, yeah, it's the pendulum thing. The more the world, the more the world swings digital, the more the kids will swing towards real and and like tangible stuff. But yeah, it's tidal wave, huge tidal wave, and people. I don't think people have any clue how big it is. But it's coming. Every player is going to get tracked. It's going to be 
manageable data sets. It's, it's going to be crazy. Uh, Masataka Yoshida. He's good. He's really good. Um, cooled off a little bit, but he's currently hitting 298. He went like a two week stretch without swinging and missing, I believe. Thoughts on, uh, on Yoshi. I mean, I, I, I went full send on him after the WBC. I told you guys, anybody that's got that high of pants and that short of torso, I'm in on Freddie Freeman, <laughs> Masataka Yoshida. I'm in. I think his belt is. is at the bottom of his rib cage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously we have a relationship with the Boston Red Sox hitting coach. And I think the term got thrown around, uh, and, and it's I'll take it with a grain of salt slump proof. Right. And, and, and this is, I think Somebody this is the biggest to knock on. No, no, no right. It, but I don't, it, Hey, it's not my batting average. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> um, I don't care if his batting average plummets other than I had a hot take on it. So the reason why that term got used was because if you take a, and this is the thing that annoys me generationally about people saying the pitchers are too good now and blah, 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 and yada, yada. A hitter's job is to respond to what the pitching is doing. And, plus fastballs, velo, top of the zone are all things that pitchers are doing. They're not doing it any differently than pitchers did 50 years ago. Yeah, like the numbers on the gun might just read a little bit higher on average and things like that. But guess what? There's still guys that throw 91. And guess what? Today's 91 might be yesterday's 87. I, I, we don't. We have no way of really knowing that, right? The, the arguments are made all the time that Nolan Ryan was throwing 136 in today's day and age, right? So... It is what it is in a lot of ways. I think across the board, we have more arms that are throwing above that threshold of what they normally would because of the way guys can train and things like that. But I don't I don't necessarily know if top end is, is better. So the reality is, if as a hitter, you are willing to adjust to what the game's doing to you, you have a chance to be uber successful. Meaning, can you hit the fastball back in the zone? Can your, can your, your predominant mindset be, I will take the fastball to the opposite side of the field it, you're just so much less exposed and that's what Yoshida is right I watched his at bats of the week he won player of the week and it was it was so abundantly clear that he was willing to get beat by a fastball not get beat like blown away but get beat and hit it sideways <laughs> right and that in and of itself is such a like a powerful quality for any professional hitter to have and that's why I'm team Masa and I just like saying that yeah, the other the the report that we got was diligence, just complete diligence and deliberateness for every rep. That not swinging and missing isn't surprising if you see the work that gets put in. Which, like, as a absolutely, that's what kind of what other compliment can you give a player besides that? Uh, Jared Kelnick idolizes Bryce Harper apparently, and. Did they get to meet? Is that what happened? I didn't click on the link yet. So breakout has Bryce Harper's attention. The The bigger question here is, is what did you get to meet any of your idols? And like at a peer level, I think that's a very interesting thing when you, when you idolize a player, but then become a peer, what's that like? We got to go to the BCM right here. Bobby, Chris minute. Go. You go I first. don't know that ever. I don't know that ever happened for me. I don't know that I, I, I got to take a picture with Mike Trout. I got to take a picture with King Griffey Jr. But I was never a peer to them. You didn't uh, say there's Albert, been, which is wild. 
I didn't take a picture with Albert. I just got to talk to him. You got his bat sign, for God's sakes. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. keep going. Um, but like there, I, there's been some instances where it's kind of like, like when I got USA Today top hundred person in baseball, I'm like, what? Why am I on this list ahead of Albert Pools? That was like probably the only, probably the only one where it was kind of like, am I on a level playing field with these people? It didn't feel like it whatsoever. So I, I've never had like a peer to peer type moment like this. Uh, those moments were incredible to me. Uh, Miggy, Pujols, Trout, uh, all of them, guys that were younger than me even. Um, my first experience with it was having a locker in between Maurer and Morneau, which was just surreal. Uh, at some point, you kind of conceptualize that you're on their level in some capacity, even though you're not. and But you still recognize very deeply that they are next level. And uh, yeah, it's it's incredible. I think um, I love it. I, I, I think that's what we play for. I think that's what makes the, you know, moves the needle for a lot of people. And, um, but in the same time, it can be disappointing too, because you say never meet your heroes because you just, you'll only be disappointed. But, um, yeah, yeah I, I think it's more confidence that it can build about your own understanding of self. If that makes any sense. It, it brings me to Otani's message about playing against Team USA, like about, you know, if you idolize them, you can't beat them, that whole thing. That's what so Shaq at some said. Point, yeah. Well, Shaq Otani said, said it before the, uh, yeah, you can't, you know, if you, if you believe you're on the same playing field, that like if you're going to be the best, you have to surpass them. So you can't put them on a pedestal. You can still respect them, but it's it's kind of different. Shaq said the greatest sign of respect you can give your your heroes is don't respect them on the court. You know? It's amazing. Uh, next topic, Bryce Harper. I guess we're sticking with Bryce Harper. Apparently told the Rockies that they're a terrible organization, that they're losers. I'm not going to quote it verbatim because there's an F-bomb in there. But uh, there was like an incident. The guy was clapping his glove towards Harper. Harper tried to start a fight. All right, he approached. There was a baseball fight, a lot of pushing and shoving, no, no punches thrown. Uh, thoughts on Harper coming back? I the first thing I saw was, uh, dude, you just came back from TJ. Don't go pushing people and putting stress on your arm. You just made this heroic comeback. Don't get hurt. Um, I think it's incredible when guys get to the point where they feel the freedom to say whatever they want, right, wrong, or indifferent. And Bryce Harper's obviously achieved that in his career, right? He's achieved the point where he just he feels comfortable saying whatever he thinks at any given moment in time, and that's true ownership of self, I guess. And yeah, there's a feel thing to it where you need to kind of just have a little bit of couth. But yeah, I'm I'm down with it. Rockies We're haven't been relevant be for a brash. long time, or or yeah. just keep your mouth shut and beat the crap out of them. One of the two. Fair. All right, last topic. Um, so, we're we're friends of the Alabama softball program. I'm not. We don't make a secret about that. Murph's been great to us. The coaching staff's been great to us. Uh, Montana Fouts got hurt, so I tweeted about it, and I I was literally in when I the first time I I was watching the game. I fell asleep on the couch in like the six, so I didn't see the injury in real time. I woke up, saw it the next morning. I I I almost cried watching it. To be perfectly honest. Because in that moment, you've got super superstar pitcher, right? She's one of the best pitchers in the country. 
senior season, SEC tournament, knocking on the door to beat a team that's very good. Seventh inning, I mean, you're in it. That's that's why you play. It's like that's you're in the moment. To get hurt in that moment, there was like this like um, this wave and this turnaround of. I'm personally devastated realization that she's coming out of the game. Like career might be over from an Alabama standpoint. And she's like covers her face with her glove. Then she like steps back and she goes to walk off the field. And then she just 180 and took command of the team. And to be that selfless, to be a leader in that moment to me was so special and incredible. Then she's walking off the field. She puts her arm around the starting pitcher. She's coaching her up. It, it would have been so easy to walk off the field with your head down and not even feeling sorry for yourself, but just being devastated in that moment for her to pull back, have perspective, flip the switch to be a leader and a teammate in that moment. It was, it was one of the most impressive things I've seen from a, as a, as a leader in sport. It was incredible. I've got nothing to add. I've got nothing to add. Well said, young man. Yeah. So on that note, uh, here's hoping for a fast recovery for her and yeah. Go ahead. Roll Tide. On that note, Roll Tide. Pickle out.